Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have a special guest speaker delivering the message. Ken Buttermore was an associate pastor at Bethesda Church in the late 1990s. He then moved to Omaha to pastor a church. Today, Ken will be encouraging us from Isaiah chapter 45 with a message about Jesus, the King of Kings and Savior. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah and follow along. We are in a political campaign, and I'm going to talk politics this morning. And I'm going to cut it to the quick, and just what's on the front of the bulletin, we're going to talk about who the real president is. It's so easy for us to be as Peter in the storm, and we start looking at the wind, the waves, the lack of sky, the howling in our ears. It's so easy for us to be consumed with the things on the horizontal. It's so easy for us on a Monday morning or Tuesday afternoon or whenever to get our eyes off of he who is seated high and lifted up. And there is a fix for our nation. There is one. He's a savior. I want us to turn to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45. We're going to look at a number of verses all in this area. But let me read the first verse. And then, How long do I have? I, I think somebody told me like one or something. What, what, what Daryl, what do I do here? Yeah, thank you. That's the answer I wanted. No. Quarter after? Quarter, quarter after? Because you're going to get up and leave at that point? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. That's why I left. <laughs> Not, nah, nah. Isaiah 45. The, thus says the Lord to his anointed. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open for him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. Let us pray. Father, may indeed it be that we are receptive to your word. Father, may you find us fertile fields, not stony, not thorny, not trampled and hardened, Father, may the seed sink in, take root, bear fruit, 30, 60, 100. We pray, God, that you'd be the speaker. We pray, God, that it would not just be, that was nice or that was interesting, but may it be transformal. May it, Father, affect us tomorrow morning. May it affect us going forward. May it be that we draw closer to you. And may it be we see the world a little clearer from your perspective. May our hearts be moved by those who do not know you that are facing a Christless eternity. May we be moved, Father, that you have called us to be your ambassadors, your witnesses, your salt, your light. And Father, may it be in our time that we are more given to one another that the body might function, that the body, the church, Bethesda, might be a greater witness in Beetle County, West or East River and South Dakota. Father, we just pray that you'd superintend our thinking an application in Jesus' name. Amen. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, the I am, the self-sufficient one. When you see Lord in all caps, we're talking about God's personal name. 
We're not talking about God as a title. Oftentimes we talk of God in, in title terms. When do we ever get to the point that we realize he's a personal God who has a personal name? And you best not step on his personal name. Because when you mess with his personal name, the second, the fourth commandment tells us, or excuse me, the, the, the third commandment tells us, he'll judge, right? He's got a personal name. And that personal name reflects who he is. And I think we need to be reminded who he is. So I want you to back up to the verses just prior to 45.1, which takes us into chapter 44. And let me just read these last verses of chapter 44, and then we want to draw a few ideas from this. Verse 24, Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads out the earth all by myself. I didn't need any help. I didn't need any help. I did it all by myself. Oh, surely Bill Nye would have an answer for that. I did it all by my, God says I did it all by myself. He says, verse 25, who frustrates the sign of babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward, who makes their knowledge foolish. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Because they're not God. And God is God. Verse 26. Who confirms the word of his servant, who, put, who performs the counsel of his messengers. He has declared his will. He has declared his way. He has declared himself in his word, be it through Isaiah, be it through Moses, be it through Jeremiah. And what God has declared happens precisely, exactly. So in Daniel chapter 9, when Jeremiah has been reading, excuse me, Daniel has been reading Jeremiah 25. He says, I see that 70 years are determined for punishment of Jerusalem. And we're now about 67 years into this. And Daniel falls before the Lord and says, what's going to happen? And the Lord said, 77s are going to happen. God declared it. And he says at the end of 69 sevens, Messiah will be cut off. And it happened exactly the way God said it would happen because he's God. He knows not only what's going on today all over the world, he knows what's going to happen in the future. He says in Genesis 3.15, he says, oh yeah, his heel will be bruised, but you, Satan, and your cohorts, your head will be. And what happened? Exactly that, because he's God. As Psalm 100 says, God who made us, and not we ourselves, it is God who made us and not we ourselves. So don't be looking to MIT and Harvard for the brainiacs to tell you what's right and what's wrong and where it all comes from. There's a source and there's a place. And he's there. He confirms his word. He says to Jerusalem, you will be inhabited. The cities of Judah, you will be built. I will raise up the waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry. This takes us back to Moses trapped at the Red Sea. You know the story? If you read 14.1 of Exodus, they're exiting. And by the way, God's ways are not our ways. We hear that all the time, don't we? If we were to do it our way, leaving Goshen, leaving Egypt, we would have traveled northeast along the coast, along the Mediterranean to get back to the promised land. God doesn't take them northeast. He takes them southeast. 
90 degrees off. Well, there's God. 90 degrees off. And he takes them into the bitter, bad wilderness. You know the story. And it says in 14.1 that God turned them because they're following the cloud. God turned them. And the Pharaoh says, oh, they're confused. Let's go get them. They weren't confused at all. They were following. And God was up to something, wasn't he? Because he was going to take care of that army, that that army, they'd never have to look over their shoulder again. They'd never have to wonder if the Egyptian army was going to come swooping in on them because God was going to make them fish food. So God dried the deep. You ought to read that story at the end of Psalm 77. You know, we know the story from Exodus. You ought to read at the end of 77. It's an earthquake. It is a credible, violent night. God, in a sense, he looks at the deep. This microphone, I'll probably blow this in. He looks at the deep and he goes, boom! And so the water just blew out. There was an earthquake and the whole sky was lit up. The thing is just violent and explosive. And they go across and the Egyptians said, we can follow those followers of Jehovah. Can they? No, they can't. And God eliminated them. So that's what he's talking about. In verse 27, who says to the deep, be dry. And I'll drop your rivers. Who says to Cyrus, Cyrus, my servant, he says to Cyrus, he shall perform all my pleasure. By the way, who's Cyrus? Cyrus is the number one guy in all the world. All the world. He is the big kahuna. There's nobody like Cyrus. He's Obama and Putin and Netanyahu all put together. And God says, he's mine. He's my servant. He's my shepherd. He does what I tell him to do. We're talking politics this morning. He'll perform what I tell him to do, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. All right. There were basically ten things here. Let me just buzz these. I... I People tell me they can't keep up because I talk too fast. That's all right. You need to listen faster. So let me just buzz this quickly again. Your Redeemer, God is personal. God is a giver and source of life. God is all-powerful. He created everything, and he didn't need us. He did not need us to create the Milky Way. He's all, he's all wise. Bring all your kings and all your horses and all your wise guys together. They're but a drop in the bucket. God says, I'm the wise, all wise one. He communicates. He's given us his word. He's given us the Bible. He's righteous. He keeps his word. All that he says he'll do, he does precisely. He's righteous. He rules nature. When he tells nature to stop the rain, as in Elijah, it stops. When he says start, it starts. He rules nature. He knows the future. Cyrus wasn't, when, when Isaiah is writing this, Cyrus not even born. Cyrus is 150 years yet. What? What? How can that be? Because he's God and we're not. And so as we look at the world and we look at our country and we look at the politics, we can easily get consumed with the storm. 
We can easily get consumed with the wind in our face and the howl in our ears and the water and the lack of bearing. We can't see the stars. It's dark. We can easily get lost in all the business, can't we? Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on. You need to be a little more responsive. You know what I do to my congregation. If they don't respond well, they get to stay after 11.15, Daryl. Are you just thinking hard or you're upset with me? Oh, okay. Kidding you. Pay attention. Okay, so, so, one, <laughs> so one thing we got to do here. Look, God is God and we're not. Oh, I didn't get through the ten. Two more. He controls rulers and he has an agenda. Jerusalem will be inhabited. The cities will be indwelt. He's got an agenda. And in the fullness of time, it all happens exactly the way he says it's going to happen. Okay. We need to know who our God is. I'm back to Isaiah 45.1. He says to his anointed Cyrus. Now, anointed is the same word we get Messiah from. It's a picture of Jesus. The difference is this guy is not God incarnate, but he does have some similarities in the fact that God has raised him up and God has commissioned him. God has commissioned him to punish his enemies, punish God's enemies, and he has commissioned him. Look at verse 13. He has commissioned him, and I will raise him up in righteousness, and I will direct his ways, and he will build my city, and he will let my people go. So what does Jesus do for us? Let us go. He frees us from bondage. He frees us from bondage, as did Cyrus, God's people. How many kings and how many emperors turned slaves loose? Pharaoh wasn't going to, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, I'm not letting you go. And God says, really? Game on. Huh? Cyrus would not naturally want to let people go. When God says, Cyrus, hey, you, heads up, let my people go. His anointed. Cyrus is God's man. God has raised him up, and God is going to use him. So he conquers enemies. It says, look, look at just a few thoughts here in these verses. It says, he will subdue nations before him. Oh, does that not sound messianic in a sense? All nations will belong to Jesus. He will be the king of all the world and all nations. It is a picture. So when even in Jesus' day, when he came and presented himself, he was really not presenting himself unique, something he'd never seen or had no idea about before, because they had it right here in Cyrus. They'd already seen a picture of him in Cyrus. So they were without excuse again. For a lot of reasons, they were without excuse. He says, you'll subdue kings. Verse 2, I will go before you. I'll make the crooked places straight. I will break the piece of the gates and cut the bars. He said, I will make it easy for you. You think about a country and you think about our country. It was at one point that things finally came pretty, pretty easy for us. Why is everything a battle now? Why is everything difficult? Why is everything complex? Why does there just seem to be no way through the crud and the clutter? Let me suggest to you is because we've walked away from God. 
He says, when I put my hand on somebody, I'll make the level, plow level places out and I'll open doors. I'll lead and I'll guide. I think what we're up against, the confusions that we've got in so many fronts are evidence of God stepping away because we've stepped away. Verse 3, I'll give you the treasures of darkness. That's even got economic overtones to it. That you may know, the hidden places, that you may know that I, the Lord, I call you by name. In some sense, in the NIV, it talks about, I will honor you. Again, these are all messianic type pictures and ideas. And I am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. Why does God do what he's doing? Because God loves his people. God's a God of love. He loves his people. And he says, I entered into a covenant with you in Exodus 19 through 24. And you think about that whole picture. And I, when I do weddings, when I do wedding marriage counseling, I talk about why, why is it that the bride comes from the back and walks through to the front? Why is it that Donnie, when Donnie married Debbie, he came from the side over? Why do we do that? Because it's exactly what happens in Exodus 19. God married, he entered into a covenant of marriage with Israel. It talks about in Isaiah and 50 and other places that God divorced Israel. God says, I love my people. I love my people. And he says, I'm doing this because of my love. And his love, it talks about at the end of, say, Psalm 100. His truth, his love, his mercy. But that word mercy is his unfailing love. So he says, I do this because of my people. I've called you by name. I have named you. Look at the end of verse 4 and the end of verse 5. What? Even though what? You do not honor me. You don't have faith in me. You're not saved. So here's a guy that's really, really powerful. He's a political entity. He's very powerful in the world. He's a Putin. And who, who rules? Who's on the throne? Who's the president? Who's the dictator? Who's the king? Who's king of kings? It ain't Putin. It ain't Obama. And it isn't not Netanyahu. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God. We need to get that firm in our heads and not get swept away with all the hoopla. But our faith and our anchor and our confidence is in God. He says in verse 5, I'm the Lord, there's no other, there is no God beside me. There's no competition, there's only one. Now back to verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. He says, whose right hand I hold. Whose right hand I hold. Okay, I need a dummy. I mean, I need some help. Come here, Wes. The first thought, would, that's what came to mind when I looked at Wes, the first thought. <laughs> okay, now I'm not very good about it. Which, which is your right hand? This, what, what, do you not take a bath? What's going on here? What do you do for, man, that's brutal. Look at these babies. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. I feel like my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm holding your right hand. 
Oh, which which hand which, which which hand do you write with? This one. Okay, that's that's the, that's the right one. I'm holding his right hand now. If you, no, not okay. Um, the Bible talks over and over again about God's right hand. In fact, only two times his left hand. For those of you who are left-handed, you can still be saved. <laughs> but the right hand is really the idea of honor, authority and power. Okay, so here's God holding Cyrus's right hand, his hand of honor, authority, and power. God's holding his right hand. He leaves Cyrus with his left hand. But what's God saying about Cyrus and his relationship with Cyrus? Huh? That's right. I, I'm control of his, I, I, God says I control his authority, I control his honor, I control his power. I can control that, right? And so Cyrus is he's, he's predominant, he's, he's effective, but he's left-handed. Okay, you left-handed people can still be saved. Okay, just in case you didn't get that. So you get the picture there? Okay, now I want to, I want to shift over here. You st stand over here. Now, Jesus goes to heaven, and he's seated. I'm playing God. That's really ugly, isn't it? It's not blasphemy, I don't think. But, but, okay, so I'm playing God. Jesus is seated at his, at God's right hand. Bad as the other one. And, and it's, it's your right hand. So what's God saying? God is deferring. Remember, it says in John chapter 5, God says to Jesus, well, let me back that up. Let me go to Matthew 28. Verse 18 says, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And in John 5 says, Jesus says, all judgment has been given to me. So in some senses, when Jesus, when, when Wes is on my, this side, it's a picture of what? Deference from God to him. Right? So again, when, when God holds his right hand, so here's Cyrus, the most powerful guy in all the world, and God says, I control your authority. I can control your honor. And I control your power, your strength. God doesn't put stuff in there just to eat up pages. He's telling us something. So when we see Jesus seated at the right hand, God's telling us something, right? All right, thank you. You did really good, yeah. I'm sweating too. Now, last night, I went out to Bethesda Cemetery and I walked Karen Hillman and Debbie. Debbie's lying next to her parents. Her mother could really whistle, couldn't she? You'd go into the care home and she'd be whistling. She was marvelous. And she had the fairest skin. And I walked down, I stood at Alan's grave, and I stood at Jim and Alma's grave. My first official act here, I checked into my office, and Eldon says, go to the hospital and visit Jim Gross. So I went to the hospital, and Jim was lying in a bed, and he passed a couple days later. Charlene was there and Alma was there and had prayer. That was my first official act here. And one of my last was with baby Kelsey, and she's out there. 
baby Kelsey. That was uh, August of 98. Um, but I stopped. I stopped at Weston Genevieve's grave. And uh, let's see, I've got to get this right. This is, I'm east here, aren't I? Why, do you, do you know why we plant people feet to the east? Do you realize we do that? Do you realize we plant people in rows north and south? Now, this is not universal, but it's standard. And we plant them feet to the east because when God calls their name, they will rise and face a new day, a dawn. But I stood at West and... Genevieve's grave, and why is it that almost always he lies with her to his right? She's on his right side. Where's Jesus? On his right side? God is God, and Jesus in the kenosis has laid aside, but God defers to him authority, honor, and strength. So what did Wes do to your mother? He conferred to her, he bestowed upon her honor, honor, authority, and strength. So you laid them together with she on his right side. Is that not how they lie? Yes, it is. I'll tell you it is. Almost always it's that way. Why do we do what we do? Oh, that's just tradition. We've got to get past that argument. We better know why we're doing what we're doing. And there's reason we're doing what we're doing. Oh, by the way, just one more piece about all that business. We put their names, it's a headstone, and we put their names on the west side of the headstone so you don't stand on the coffin. It's, just, it's, just, it's an idea of honor. Do you know what we do, why we do what we do? Well, we just do it because that's the way everybody else does it. Okay, so the right hand, the left hand. Do you remember when um, Israel, Jacob, is passing, and Joseph brings these two children in to be blessed? And he brings the oldest, Manasseh, to Jacob's right hand, and the second oldest, Ephraim, to his left hand? You remember the story? Genesis 48? And Jacob says, no, no, no. And he moved them. The second born, Ephraim, the right hand. The first born, Manasseh, the left hand. Joseph said, no, 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 no. And Jacob says, no, that's right. That's correct. So when God talks about his right hand and his left hand, when God talks about holding Wes's hands. God really has to hold Wes's hands. There's a reason for that. There's something being said in that. So you think about Cyrus. We think about Putin. We think about Obama. We think about Netanyahu. Or, and we said it at the top. Who's the king of kings? Who's the king of kings? We need to be consumed, we need to be concerned, we need to be enthralled, we need to be obedient to 
the king of kings. Now, let me just finish by dropping to the, this chapter is just, it's, it's the Bible. And so it's just full, isn't it? Always full. Let me just pick a couple verses up and then I'm going to drop to the end. But, but look in, in verse um, 9, it says, Woe to him who strives with his maker, who argues with his maker. Verse 10, Woe to him who says to his father, What are you doing? Or to the woman, Why have you brought thus forth? Complaining. We argue with God. And this is God's people. We argue with God. We complain to God. Look at verse 11. Thus says the Holy One of Israel and his maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, concerning the work of my hands. And the fact that they've been questioning. They're questioning, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And they're questioning God. And then they even come so much to say in verse 15, Truly you are a God who hides yourself. You're not clear. You really don't communicate well. Verse 19, he says, I have not spoken in secret. So what do we do when God doesn't seem to be directly involved and when things don't seem to be going our way and when the politics seem to be falling apart? Don't we do these same things with God? We argue with him. We question him. We talk bad about him behind his back. We accuse him of not really being engaged and involved. We're doing the same things. So he says in verses 20 and 21, Gather up all your sticks and stones. Gather up all your little boxes and your candles. Gather up all your little funky little gods. And bring them together and let's have a hearing. Oh, you don't know if I said that right. I didn't say it the way it says here. He says, assemble yourselves. I'm in verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near. You who have escaped from nations that have no knowledge. They carry wooden carved images. They pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Get all your heads together and come up with an argument why you're right and I'm wrong. And then he says, verse 22, look unto me and be saved. What's the solution for our country? All the ends of the earth, and that includes Beetle County, South Dakota, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. LeVon, just so I don't... I, I'm, LeVon and Steve, I, I sat at their table yesterday morning, and I Gave them some of my philosophy. They're here because they have no idea what I was talking about yesterday morning. And so I'm going to help them just briefly. There are three things that really drive us as a culture. Toys, teams, and teeth. Smile, Dan. I want to see your teeth. That's it. We have all these gods. We make athletes gods. We have all these things that we worship, all these things that we're enamored with. And one of them is our looks. People that are pretty. We exalt to teeth, toys, people that got stuff, people that have fancy houses and big houses and many houses. We, we exalt them, we honor them, we worship them. We make demigods out of them. Toys, teams, teams, your soccer team. Teeth. 
He says, look unto me. and Be saved, all the ends of the earth. I'm God. And there is no other. What's the solution for us? Jesus. 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 Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. And look at the last verse. Because i got to quit because Daryl's going to leave. Nothing has changed. <laughs> Did you just shut me up? Wait a minute here. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Eleven <laughs> fifteen. We just shut the lights off. And go home. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> okay. When all the dust settles, when all the smoke clears, verse 25, in, the, in Yahweh all the descendants of Israel shall be, there'll be justice, and God will be glorified. When it's all said and done, there will be justice, and God will be glorified. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. He's the King of kings, and he's the Savior, and that's what we need in the United States these days. Amen. I know you're not Baptist, but you can say amen anyway. Amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we live in crazy days, but you're in charge. You're not pacing heaven's floor. There's not a furrow in your brow. You're not wringing your hands. You're the king over all kings, and you're the savior. And when it's all settled, there will be justice, and there will be glory. And we thank you for that hope. Help us these days, Father. Help us these days to live tall for you, to live bright for you, to live happily for you. Help us, Lord, that our lives reflect you to a lost and needy world. In Jesus' name. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.